So today we're transitioning from talking about scripture and how do we make uh, how do we make sense of scripture? How do we figure out what it is saying? We're not trying to put meaning on it. We're trying to make sense of what it is saying. And so the next few weeks we're going to be uh, looking at some passages in scripture that talk about what is the church. And so the reason we're doing that is. There, there are several reasons. I think it's good for us to know who we are. That's one thing. Uh, we can better understand what our purpose is, and not just our individual purposes, but uh, our purpose as a whole, as a congregation. And we can see where we fit in what God is doing today. So I think it's good for us to understand those things, and we're gonna. that's one of the reasons why we're looking at it. Um, but another reason that I want us to look at it is because of this. Uh, I, as a pastor, part of my job is to cast vision. And if I could steal the illustration from the last few weeks and use the puzzle again, uh, in my mind, I can kind of see somewhat of a, of a finished picture of what I would love to see our church look like. And a lot of that goes back to uh, what, is, what the Bible says, what is biblical, uh, but then some of it just goes to preference and the culture that we live in and uh, the resources that we have and different things like that, that that kind of fill in with that. And so I can see this picture of where I would like for us to be, um, but it's hard to communicate what that might look like. It's hard to explain that in a five-minute conversation. And I've been really trying to figure out, well, why is that hard? And I, I think I know some of the reasons, maybe not all the reasons. But one of the reasons is, if, if we're using the puzzle illustration, is we have all these pieces, and we need to figure out what makes up how we, how we are to be the church. And so that's great, except maybe there are some pieces in this puzzle that don't even belong to this puzzle. Not, and I'm not talking about individuals in the church I'm talking about maybe a program that we're doing or um, something that we need to be doing better. Maybe there's a puzzle, a piece of the puzzle that's missing right now. We need to figure out who, who's God going to bring to our church in order for us to be able to accomplish what we need to be doing. Maybe you're a guest in here this morning and you're sitting in here and maybe God has brought you here for a purpose, to be a part of our church, to be a, a member of our church and to move forward with us as we strive to be the church together to not just meet each other's needs and, and to build community right here within these walls, but our main desire is to move this thing outside of these walls for us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for us to be the church. And in order for us to do that, we can't just stay inside this building. And so, uh, over the next few weeks, what I'm going to be doing before we get to First John is... I'm going to be focusing on what does the Bible say about who the church is? What the role of the church should be? And what what, what does that even look like in modern culture? And and so those are some of the things that we're going to be discussing. Um, You can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. Now... What we have to remember is is that because I'm not just preaching through a book of the Bible, we're going to this passage. Uh, we don't want to ignore what we learned about the Bible the last three weeks. 
We don't want to go to this passage and then make it say or make it mean what we want it to say or what we want it to mean. We need to know within the context what's going on and what this is actually saying. We don't Proof texting or eisegesis is where you basically take a text and you make it say whatever you want it to say. And there is plenty of that. It's the reason why, one of the reasons why we have so many denominations. It's one of the reasons why we have so many churches that split. Because we go to the Bible and we just make it back up what we already think. And we have to be careful about that. And so what I want us to do is I want us to go to this passage and to understand the context, understand where it fits, and then try to figure out how this applies to us today. So that's what we're going to be spending the next several minutes doing. Um, At least two and a half hours. Okay, maybe not that long. So um, before we get to verse 42... And as we're looking at the biblical church, in verse 41, you can see that there were a lot of people added to the church that day. Now, what happened in order for 3,000 souls to be added to the church? Well, Jesus, after his death and resurrection, he eventually ascended to heaven after he told the disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. Um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then the Holy Spirit came. And the Holy Spirit came in power. And the Holy Spirit gave them the boldness to speak. And there were these miracles that were happening. And Peter preaches this amazing sermon. And 3,000 people get saved. So talk about church growth, right? Now, I believe that we need to be obedient to the Scripture. And whatever numbers result, that's what results. Sometimes you can be obedient to the scripture and your church decline in size. Uh, Some of that has to do with um, just population and and demographics, people moving in, people moving out, things like that. Uh, But then there might be some other spiritual reasons why that might be true. But in this case, the Holy Spirit comes, Peter's preaching this sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. We've had 19 people join the church in the last few months, and that seems incredible. 3,000 people, and we have more that have been saved here recently that you'll be learning about in the near future. And so it's exciting to see God move. It's exciting to, to be a part of when he's at work. And as much as we are excited about what God is doing here, imagine how the disciples must have felt in this moment when God is doing all this. And so they're trying to figure out how to be the church. What I want us to realize is that this is just one passage of a snapshot of what the church looked like in that moment. And one of the things that we'll be talking about today is that this isn't necessarily what exactly how they did it. That's not necessarily how we should do it. In fact, there are other parts of Scripture later on where they weren't doing things exactly this way. But I think that the heart of this, the heart of what's going on here, can teach us a lot about what it should mean for us to be a church. For what it should mean to us to be a part of the bride of Christ. And what our role and our purpose should be. Not the whole puzzle. Not the whole picture. But at least a part of it. So, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, 
and the prayers. So there's four things here that we see immediately that all those people who got saved, all those people that are part of the new church, when the Holy Spirit comes and when people are added to the church, um, that there are four things that they devote themselves to. Now, we look at this word, they devoted themselves, and I want us to realize that when you are a part of a church, you are making a commitment that you are devoting yourself, yourself and, and, and as a whole, ourselves. We are devoting ourselves to a specific type of belief system, a specific type of purpose. It, it, we don't get to choose the rules for how a church should be. God chooses those rules. Now, just as we as individuals might um, application for Scripture might be different in all of our lives. Like there's this verse that says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength." And to do what? Also, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, is that going to look the exact same in all of our lives? We're going to be loving God in different ways. We're going to be loving our neighbors in different ways. God has gifted us in different ways. And we have to figure out how to apply that to our lives. So as a church, we see these things. And we as a church have to realize that not all churches will do things just like we are going to do them. And nor should they. Because each local church is in a different community. It's reaching different people. It's doing different things. So the heart of this, the truth of this, should be apparent in every church. But the way this comes to fruition, the way we act this out, that's going to look different. And so as members of local churches, what we're doing is we're devoting ourselves to some certain things. And here's what these Christians did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Okay? Um, They wanted to know what were the apostles saying is true. Just as when Jesus was on earth... They spent time with him. They learned from him. They lived life with him. There were, you know, not just the 11 disciples, not minus, that's, you know, without Judas. Um, not just did they have the 11 disciples who spent time with Christ. They spent a lot of time with Christ. But there were a lot of other people that we hear about in Scripture, like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who spent a lot of time with Christ. And, and, and so they had these people that they could learn from. They had these apostles the disciples and Paul later, uh, they had these people that they can learn from their teachings and and do as Christ desired for them to do. You know, they didn't have the New Testament yet, right? Why didn't they have the New Testament? Yeah, it hadn't been written yet. It, they were living the New Testament. And so this is them figuring things out as they go from the from what Jesus said, from what Jesus taught, from the Old Testament of how they applied it under the New Covenant, under the New Testament. Um, and, and they're trying to figure this out. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings so that they could figure out how to live. What is obedience? What honors God? How can they grow closer to him? How can they worship him better since that's the end of, of man? And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and, and the fellowship. And this is that word, koinonia, that if you were here back when we studied Philippians, uh, this is that word, that the, the root of this word, koinos, is common. It means common. And not common as in, oh, this is something you find everywhere, but common as, is, as in they shared something in common, a common interest. But it goes way deeper than that. It, it 
also refers to partnership. That's why in Philippians it said the partners in the gospel. I thank God for your partnership in the gospel. is because it's, it's deeper than just having something in common. It's, it really, it's deeper than a partnership. It's this bond where you have so much in common that it is going to affect everything. And I'm not just making this up. We're going to see this spelled out in the scripture in just a moment. But uh, koinonia, fellowship, the word we, we use fellowship. But when we say fellowship, a lot of times we mean uh, potluck, which I ain't, ain't nothing wrong with a potluck, okay? I like a potluck just as much as the next guy. But there's way more to koinonia. There's way more to fellowship than just sharing one meal every quarter together or every month together, okay? Koinonia these people had Jesus in common. They had that they were church members. They had that in common. They were trying to figure out what is the church because it's so different in so many ways than God's people, the Israelites, in the Old Testament. So they're trying to figure out what to do. And, and so what they're doing is they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And Luke, who wrote Acts, a lot of times when he, when he wrote breaking the bread um, or a similar phrase, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. Um, but here, as we'll see a little later, I, I do believe that he's referring to the Lord's Supper, but I think he's also referring to a meal in general that included the Lord's Supper. Um, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, koinonia, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And so here we see four things that these Christians devoted themselves to. Now, these four things, all of us, all churches, we need to devote ourselves to these things. Now, how these things play out in the life of our church and in our personal lives might look differently, but these truths, we need to devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings. Still, we need to go to his word, and we need to figure out what this is saying, and we need to apply it. That's what the last three sermons were about. We need to devote ourselves to koinonia, to fellowship. And, and I, I just, I'm going to say a brief word about this, and this will set up some of the rest of the scripture. But a lot of times what we consider church today is this. We say that you show up on Sunday mornings. If you're even more mature, you come on Sunday nights. And if you're a superstar, you even show up on Wednesday nights. And that is church. But that's not what church is. That's, that's part of what's going on here. But church is, and we'll look at this in the near future, church is members of the body of Christ. Different people who are making up one body. The church is to be united. The church is to be one. The church is to be the bride of Christ. We are his people who are left here on earth to love the Lord and to love others. And to, to help them see what truth is. Help them see who Christ is. And so when we say that we're devoted to fellowship. And when we say that we're devoted to being the church. We need to understand what we're saying. Because having this building is an incredible blessing. And I'm extremely glad that we have it. But a building doesn't make us the church. If this building, God forbid, burned to the ground tomorrow, would we still be a church? Absolutely. I've been involved with a lot of churches. And 
I've been involved with churches who had large, nice, paid-off facilities like this one, which is a blessing. I've been a part of church plants who had no building, and God still moved, and God still did great things. I've been in parts of the world where if you built a building and called it a church, it would be burned down and you would be killed. And so this building doesn't make us a church. So what makes us a church? What makes us a church is what we have in common. Jesus. What we have in common being that we are his. We are his followers. And we have committed to joining together, to working together, to love each other and to be the church and to treat each other with love and respect as he calls us to. But also to reach the world around us and to love the world around us. And so we need to, to understand what we're saying when we're, when we're calling ourselves a church. We need to understand what we need to devote ourselves to when we call ourselves a church. Because we have an idea of what church is. Depending on where we were raised, depending on what denomination in which we were raised, depending on the country, for example, that we were raised in, all of these things help us to have this image of what a church is in our mind. But my question is, is it biblical? Is it required? Are those things required for us to be a church? So what I would like us to do over the next few weeks is to, to just do this. If, if this is a church, and this is our image of a church, can we just take that apart, take everything down that we think we know about church, and then can we go back to the scripture and rebuild what the Bible says is a church from what scripture says is a church? Because there might be things that we're doing now that we don't need to be doing. And there might be things that we need to be doing that we're not doing. And to be honest, um, just because I have an end vision as pastor of where I would like to see our church go, I'm just one man. That doesn't mean that's where we need to end up. We as a church have to figure that out. Now, hopefully, I'm living for Christ. Hopefully, I'm spending time in his word and in prayer. And and as uh, under-shepherd of this church, hopefully, I'm... (laughs) hearing from him in a sense that um, from what I'm learning in his word and from what I'm seeing in our community and in our culture, hopefully I'm coming up with a good picture of how we can be the church biblically. But it's not just my job to figure that out. It's the church's job. It's our job to figure out how, to, how we get there and how we accomplish that. And so all I'm going to ask is, is that whatever your preconceived idea of what a church is, if you would just take it all away. If we could just take it all away and build it back brick by brick until we make sure that every brick that is included in what we see as the church, and maybe brick is the wrong word since I don't want us to see it as a building, but brick by brick as we build it back, that we have a biblical understanding of what a church is. And where I would like to, to start is to know that we can be devoted to some things. The apostles' teaching. Okay, his word to fellowship, not just eating a meal together in the, in the gym or the fellowship hall. Okay, but true koinonia, which means that we have things in common. We're living life together. When you hurt, I hurt. When I hurt, you hurt. When I rejoice, you rejoice. 
We're living life together. I have a friend. Rose and I have some friends that are going through something right now that is extremely difficult. And any time I even think about what they're going through in order so I can pray for them, I begin to cry. Because I love them. We have something in common. We have koinonia. And when they hurt, I hurt. And so we can devote ourselves to that type of fellowship. We can devote ourselves to eating meals together, to hanging out, but also to taking the Lord's Supper together, to remember Him, to remember Jesus together, remember what He has done together. And finally, in this verse, we can devote ourselves to prayer, to the prayers, to prayer. We can devote ourselves to knowing that in order for us to live our lives the way we need to, in order for us, if, if, if our determined purpose is to know God, to know the power of his resurrection, to share in his suffering, even to death. I'm quoting Philippians 3.10. If that's our desire, to know him so that we can love him and so that we can be the, the men and the women that we are to be, if that's our determined purpose, then we have to know him. And if we're going to know him, we have to spend time in prayer. And through prayer, God just seems to transform us he seems to speak truth into our hearts when we need it and into our minds. And during those times when we're quiet, during those times when we're crying out to him, during those times of intimacy when we're speaking with him, he transforms us. So those are four things that we can be devoted to. Verse 43, and all, that's uh, King James Version says fear. This is just a reverent respect. You know, you really respect what, God is and who God is and what God is doing. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Here's the root of that fellowship, Koinonia. Here's Koinos. They had all things in common. And so my question to all of us here today is, do we have all things in common? And I'm not talking about um, we all like the Patriots. Because we don't, Matt. We don't, April. Um, I'm, not, I'm not even saying that we all have to like football. Okay? Although football is a great sport, coach. Um, I'm saying when I say we have all things in common, what, what that means is, is that we are living life together and we are experiencing life together. And the joys over here are the joys over here. Or joys over there are the joys over here. The, the hurts over there are the hurts over here. That we're doing it together. And when God does something great, we're celebrating together. And when someone falls, we're mourning together. And when we're, we're doing it together. We ha- we're having things in common. And it goes beyond just enjoying the same things. This is way more than that when this is saying that they had all things in common. Let's let's see what it means. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were literally having all things in common. What's mine is yours. Now, this is different than communism or socialism. So if you're looking at this and thinking, hmm, maybe we should become that kind of government. That's not what this is, because this is voluntary. And in fact, if you were to keep reading in Acts, just 
a chapter or two over, chapters three and four, you would see how this wasn't the process they were doing anymore. They started selling their possessions and giving it to the apostles so that the apostles could distribute it as it was needed. And then, as you continue to go on, you see that that whatever selling all their possessions meant, it didn't mean all their possessions because they were still meeting in homes, which the people owned. And so, um, the practical lesson for us to learn here is not that necessarily we should all go out and sell all of our possessions and give them to the poor. Although, if you feel a deep conviction about that, and if you're married, your spouse is in agreement with that, then I do believe that that is something that we should still do today if that is something that God is convicting us to do just as he was convicting them to do it. But what I also want us to understand is is that this is the practice that was happening right here in this passage, in this immediate moment, and that this didn't even continue later on in Scripture. And so I'm not saying that we should ignore this. I'm saying that we should try to figure out what was happening in power in that moment in these people's lives that caused them to want to continue to do this, to live, to, or that would cause them to act in this way, that they would sell their position, possessions and distribute it as any had need. And when we, when we think of this as Americans, there's just a lot of cultural baggage that we're bringing into this. And what I want us to realize is this, is that there are definitely people in need in our country. But if those people have cable and a cell phone and all these other things, then th- it's a different kind of need than what is described in a lot of parts of Scripture. There, there were times growing up where uh, our electricity was turned off because we, we didn't have the money to pay that bill. That's a pretty fair, at least fairly close to a need, electricity in this day and age. Um, and so when we're seeing people selling their possessions and sh- having things in common and sharing, you, you better believe everybody was hurting. Even the people that in our country we might consider poor, they were making sure that others' needs, needs were being met also. They had all things in common. And so let's continue. Verse 46. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So in verses 45 and 46, we see some things going on here. They're selling their possessions and they're distributing as any has need. So we see that they care for each other. Their concern for each other goes way more than just a, a fellowship meal every once in a while. The koinonia, the fellowship that they had, was so deep that they were willing to, to risk their well-being, they were willing to sell their possessions in order to help provide for the people's needs around them. And then it, it goes more than just charity, more than just seeing someone in need and, and meeting that need. It was love. It was a desire to be together. Day by day, they were attending the temple together. Because you have to remember, at this time, these people were Jewish who were being converted, Most, almost all of them. And they were still going to the temple to worship. Now, it was probably Solomon's portico, so they were probably outside of the temple where Jews and Gentiles and everybody could come. And they were probably teaching there. But they were still going to the temple together because these were still Jewish people. They just were Jewish people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Savior. And so they still had these things in common. And it would still be several years 
probably 40 years or so, before um, the, the, the Jewish people said, no, you cannot, you're a cult, you Christians are weird, you can't worship with us anymore, um, before they were even kicked out. Now, in some places, that came sooner. But here's my point. These people never wanted to stop worshiping with the Jewish people. They wanted the Jewish people to believe in Jesus. They wanted the Jewish people to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They wanted the Jewish people to reform their idea of what truth is and realize that the suffering servant that's mentioned in the Old Testament, that was Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah that's mentioned in the Old Testament, that's Jesus. He's one and the same. He came to save us. They wanted them to see that. And if you fast forward many, many years, you get to Martin Luther. And and Luther, who was a Catholic, he saw some things that needed to be changed within the Catholic Church. And he tried to tell people, and people weren't really listening, so he wrote these ideas of things that he saw that were unbiblical within the church, and he nailed them to the church door. That's one way to get somebody's attention. And he never wanted to leave the Catholic Church. He wanted the Catholic Church to reform, to change the way they they were doing things in order to better reflect what the Bible says about what a church should be. And eventually the Catholic Church says, Luther, you're crazy. You can't be in our church anymore. And so that was when the Protestant protests of what the Catholic Church was doing, the Protestant movement began, and that's where a lot of denominations today come from. And so today, can we just take a step back and ask ourselves, what are the things that are going on in our church with our people within this building and outside of this building? What are the things that are going on today that need to change? If we were to write a list of things that were unbiblical or could be done more biblically, if we were to make a list... What would be nailed to our front door? What are things that need that we need to change in order to be more biblical as a church? And those are some of the questions that I want us to be asking. Um, we don't have to do anything because that's the way it's been done. We don't have to continue to do anything. Any programs, any um, just, you know, preferences that we have. We do not have to continue to do anything unless this tells us to do it. And then we have to do it, or we're not being the church that we need to be. And just as we don't have to continue to do anything just because that's the way we've done it, we also can do anything. We can do anything. Even if nobody else is doing it, we can do it. If we believe that it's biblical and it's going to help us as a church to be more like the church of the New Testament, more like what Jesus has asked us to be, if it's going to help us to reach our community and it's God-honoring, I'm not saying we just do anything, but if it's something that honors God and we look around and we don't see any other churches doing this, that doesn't mean that, oh, well, let's not do it. Let's just do something else or go back to the way we were doing it. It means we can do whatever God calls us to do. So let me also speak to the other side of that. There have been things that we have been doing for a long time that we need to continue to do. Because they're biblical. And they are the best way to reach 
our community. They are the best way for us to be the church, to have all things in common. And so in that case, we need to continue to do the things that we've been doing. But we don't have to if there's a better way of doing it or it's not biblical. Does that make sense? All right. How many of you are scared right now? No, you don't have to raise your hand. Just don't kick me out like they did Luther, okay? Let's, let's walk through this together. All right. So, I think the reason that they were willing to take these risks together, that I think it was twofold. First, they loved Jesus. And Jesus was doing this powerful work within them with, with this new coming of the Holy Spirit. That God was moving and these incredible things were happening. And all was on every soul that God was moving. I think that's one. But two is, when you live life together, when someone is willing to suffer for you, when someone is willing to, to love you, you want to take risks with those people. You want to sell your possessions in order to help them. There are people in all of our lives, and if there's not, I, I'm sorry, because that's, this is sad if it's not. But I'm sure that there are people in most of our lives, at least one person, that if they were in need, we would do everything in our power to help them if it was healthy for us to do so. Healthy for the other person, I mean. We would take risks. We would put ourselves in danger in order to do that. You know why? Because we have koinonia with those people. What if we had that type of fellowship, that koinonia? What if we had that within the larger congregation here. Not just within a family, not just within close friends, but what if we all felt that, Quinonia, that fellowship? Hey, I'm excited about where God is going. I'm excited about what is happening in our church. I'm excited about the future. I'm so excited that if we are having a personal conversation about it, I probably can't communicate to you in a way that is helpful to you except for uh, spurts of excitement and joy coming out at random times. Um, I am excited that God is saving people. I'm excited about people joining our church. I'm excited that even though it's summer, we haven't really had a dip in attendance or anything or giving. Actually, giving has gone up. I'm excited about all those things. I am excited. But... If we are a church where people just come to on Sunday mornings and they just come to hear a sermon and then they go and that's all there is to church, then why would you want to be a part of a church like that? I don't want to be a part of a church like that. I know most people my age don't want to be a part of a church like that. I know. I was a collegiate minister for the last five to six years and I saw those young people. And you know, one of their biggest complaints was what? Any guesses? The church. And we have to own that. We have to own that. And, and here's what I'm going to say that maybe a lot of people aren't saying. We're all, we, there's all these articles, and I've written them. I've had them published. There are these articles out there that talk about how we keep young people in church. How do we do that? But let me tell you. I'll just tell you how we can do it. Okay? We have koinonia. If we have koinonia... People will want to be a part of our fellowship. And when we don't have koinonia, as this church and many other churches have lacked at different times in the past, how many, I'm just going to be asking you to be honest, if if you are a member of this church, 
And there has been a season, a season in the life of this church where you didn't even want to come to church. Will you raise your hand for me? Look around. Keep your hands up and look around. Is that the way church should be? No. We shouldn't be at each other. We should be for each other. We should be with each other. We should have all things in common. We should love each other. We should suffer for each other. We should fight for each other. And then when we're healthy and we're doing what we're supposed to do, we should go out to the world and take this love. It should be overflowing outside of this building. This building should just be a time for us to come together and celebrate together. But we should be celebrating what God has been doing throughout the week. Not what he did the Sunday before and then we wait till the next Sunday to celebrate. We should be celebrating what God is in the midst of doing in our presence day by day. Look at, well, finish in verse 46. These people were in each other's homes. They were eating meals together. They were hanging out together. They were living life together. And if we were to evaluate ourselves and ask ourselves, take out your best friends and take out your family, and when's the last time you... Ate with a church member. And was it just once in the past three months, six months, a year? This needs to be something that we have in common. You don't have to invite all 50 people over uh, to your house for dinner. Although you might want to say, let's meet at Simple Simon's, all 50 of us or something. Just call ahead. Um, public service announcement for Simple Simon's there. Um, but... We should be hanging out. We should be doing life together. We should be living these things out in truth together. And they were doing this with glad and generous hearts. Because where there's koinonia involved, then there's joy involved in church. That's, that's a, a really cool concept, huh? That there can be joy involved in church. Um, joy. Not, I raise my hand because there have been times when I've dreaded to go to church. But joy involved in church. And not just going to church, to the building, but being the church day by day. There's joy involved in that when it's done the right way. Verse 47, this is our close, our conclusion. Praising God. They, remember, they were receiving the food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God, because that's, that's our purpose as humans, that's our purpose as a church, to praise God. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Not just all the Christians. At this point, they were having favor with all the people because the people saw the way they were living their lives. The people saw the way that they were making sacrifices. And they found the people respected them for that. I do believe that even in the midst of a corrupt generation, which, by the way, if you were to read the Bible, they were in the midst of a corrupt generation too. I believe we're always in the midst of corrupt generations. But even in the midst of that, People outside of our tribe can respect what God is doing within our tribe. It, when we are living with koinonia, with fellowship, the biblical way, there are going to be people who are attracted to that, to our gathering, to what God is doing in us and through us. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. How many of you desire to see more people saved? More people walking with Christ? 
How many of you desire this church to be full? And not just this church, but all the churches in Mansfield. And not just Mansfield, but, well, I don't know, Sebastian, Scott, one of those counties. It's, you know, we're cut in half, so it's hard to describe. But uh, let's just say both counties having their churches full. And not just our state and not just our country, but how many of you cannot wait until a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? How many of you can't wait until a day where we are gathered around the throne and we can hear the singing of the saints and that there will be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation glorifying God? Because that's what we exist for as a church. So let's tear all the things down that we think we know about the church and let's build it back piece by piece. And let's ask ourselves, what, biblically, what has to be here? And let's start with that foundation. First of all, we are the church of Christ. So Jesus should be our focus. Jesus should be his teachings and what he said and how he lived and the Holy Spirit that God sends to us. That that should be the center of what we're doing. Jesus. And then our preferences of how we go about applying these things we can build those things together. We don't have to do things a certain way. It, it, whatever we want to do, we can do it, okay? Together, in unity. If it's not in unity, let's not pursue that. But together, in unity, we can be the church that God has called us to be so that we can reach this community and the surrounding communities and to the ends of the earth. So we can reach the world for Christ. Because I don't desire just to see a few people get saved in Mansfield. I desire to see us, all of us, living in fellowship together, devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. I desire to see us all devoted to him, and I cannot wait to see what God can do through a people who are devoted to him. I cannot wait to see what God can do. He's already done it. There have been times in the lives of this church where God has moved in such incredible ways, where there were ministers and missionaries being sent out. I meet people all the time who used to be a member of this church and now they're a pastor. All the time. I think it's half of our association, actually. It's incredible. That can be us again. And just as important as pastors being sent out, what about teachers or mechanics or whoever being sent out back into the workforce every single Monday to share the gospel, to live the gospel, to show love? Let's be that church. Let's pray. Lord, we love you.